Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalm 70, if you wouldn't mind. The book of Psalm and Psalm 72, rather. Psalm 72. For those of you who know me, know that I love to do things in chronological order. That a lot of our series that we do through history, we just don't hit that specific book. But we actually take all the things in chronological order and put it together to put it in its context. And as we're hitting the life and ministry of Solomon as he becomes king, we now have David who is still alive but has turned over the throne to Solomon. Solomon is now in charge. David has taken time to stand before the people and give a final address and teach the people how they need to take care of Solomon, how they need to be willing to work. And now David, the sweetest psalmist of Israel, has taken pen and paper and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has written a psalm for Solomon. And the purpose of this psalm is to give a goal, an achievement, something to go through of how the kingdom that Solomon reigns should be measured up to and against. So with that in mind, notice with me, if you don't mind, in Psalm 72. Psalm 72, and if you don't mind, notice with me in verse 1. Psalm 72 in verse 1. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness, and thy poor with judgment. The mountain shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. <clears throat> he shall judge the poor of the people and he shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as the showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish, and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles shall bring presents, and the kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all the kings shall fall down before him, all the nations shall serve him, for he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and the needy, and he shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in his sight. And he shall live, and to him shall be given of gold, the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth, 
and upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark something that's found in the title of the psalm? Remember to the Hebrew people, the titles of the psalm were considered to be inspired. And so notice the title in Psalm 72, which gives a context. Notice it says, a psalm for Solomon. A psalm for Solomon. And with the Lord's help, we'll go through Psalm 72 with this backdrop, a psalm for Solomon. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would give us peace, that you would give us understanding, that you would settle our hearts and settle our minds and help it to be focused and put upon you. I'm thankful that we could depend and trust upon you. I'm asking that as we get a glimpse of not only Solomon's kingdom and what it was supposed to be, but we'll look beyond that to be able to see Christ's kingdom and see the kingdom that it will be and the perfection and how it measures up and give us something to look forward to even in our future as Jesus Christ rules and reigns. We're asking that you would give us much wisdom and much discernment Help us even now, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 72 is probably the last psalm that David wrote. Solomon is now sitting on the throne. David is aged, and we've already seen the description of David, how he is an old man in a bed, and that he can't even get enough warmth for himself, that he needed help for this. But David is now still rejoicing in the Lord. And as he's thinking about Solomon and thinking about the kingdom that he has, he has every intention with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, taking pen and paper in hand to give kind of like a poetic guide of what the kingdom should be um, <laughs> set up to and what he should live up to. But we're going to see that actually David is looking further down the road and he is looking to the coming Christ. He is looking for Jesus Christ and his kingdom which will rule. This psalm is going to give Solomon a perfect picture to model his kingdom after. As a reminder, as we head into the for context, we know that in our future, there are several events still ahead. The next event on God's calendar is something that we call the rapture. In order for the rapture to happen, there are no more signs, no more wonders, no more scriptures or prophecies that need to be fulfilled, that it could come at any time. He could come before we're done with the service. Even so, Lord, come quickly. After that, God is going to set up a time where he's raptured all of his saved people out, 
And God, once again, for seven years, is going to work primarily with his Hebrew people to draw those Hebrew people to himself. At the end of the seven years, Jesus Christ is going to come down and he's coming back with all of us saints. And he is going to establish his kingdom, which he is going to rule and reign, as the Bible said, six times in seven verses for a thousand years. Now, when God says six times in seven verses, a thousand years, how long do you think that we uh, mean? A thousand years. That God is smart enough to say what he means and mean what he says. And during that thousand year reign of Christ, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to establish a perfect kingdom and a perfect government. And as David is now in his twilight years, and he is looking ahead and he's looking at Solomon's kingdom, which is right in front of him, beyond Solomon's kingdom behind that is the perfect kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so Solomon looks, be, or David looks beyond Solomon's kingdom and sees that perfect kingdom and looks at him both at the same time and says, this is what the kingdom should be like. Hopefully Solomon can have his kingdom the same way. And so with this, we're going to see quite a bit about Jesus' upcoming kingdom. The first thing I'd like to show you in this psalm is the coming king. The coming king. Notice with me in verse 1. Give the king, this is going to be David, thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness, Unto the king's son. This is going to be Solomon. So this prayer is given to the king. And David has been given God's judgments. And which means God's decisions. God's righteous rulings. Then the king's son Solomon. Is going to take the righteousness of God. That's been delivered to him. And he's supposed to follow those just decisions. Those righteous decisions. That have been handed to him. Now, there's one thing to have a throne that has been given to you. It is another thing altogether to have the thoughts of a righteous king. We know that in history, Solomon is going to start off quite well. In fact, two different times God's going to appear to him. He's going to become the wisest man who ever lived. But... He doesn't keep up with that. Somewhere towards the end, things are going to fall apart. The wheels are going to fall apart. It's going to collapse. But the wonderful thing with the upcoming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to last. It's not going to collapse. Our king is always going to remain perfect. He's not going to slip up. He's not going to turn away. He's going to continue to be the king that he should be. Notice with me as we see more about that in verse number two. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. The mountain shall bring faith, bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and he shall break in pieces the oppressor. What we see here is it's speaking about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ when he rules and reigns one of the wonderful things is that the poor won't be oppressed. But everyone is going to enjoy righteousness. It's going to be a kingdom of prosperity. It's going to be a kingdom of righteousness. In fact Jesus Christ when he establishes that kingdom he is going to take those of us who have been born again. Those of us who have personally come to the place where we realize that we're a sinner and because of our sin that we've 
offended a holy, righteous God, but that Jesus Christ paid our price for us and we personally accept him as Savior, what's going to happen is that when we get raptured up, that he's going to give us a brand new body. I'm looking forward to that. This brand new body is not going to be able to sin against God anymore. In fact, we are going to live in a perfect body and we're going to answer to a perfect king. And that king is going to establish us in positions of authority to help oversee his kingdom. What we're speaking about is that Jesus Christ is going to be the head of a government, but the rulers and the administration of his government are also going to be perfect. Could you imagine what a government like that would be like? We'd like to see one of those. And so when Jesus Christ rules and reigns, it's going to be at a place where the people are going to be treated fairly. They're going to be treated righteously. They're going to be overseen. They're not going to be neglected. They're not going to be pushed aside. That all the people are going to be taken care of because the king cares for each and every one of them. Well, as we look at Solomon, that was what the kind of king Solomon was supposed to be like. Solomon was supposed to be a king where righteousness, God's ruling, is what dictated what he did. That it was supposed to be a type of king that the poor inside of his nation felt like they were not oppressed, that they were not neglected, that the poor felt like they were important people to Solomon as well. That was the idea that David is writing with pen and paper in mind. Thinking about the backdrop of the perfect kingdom yet to come. And looking at Solomon. And Solomon, if you're going to match up to that, you need to take care of the people. Solomon, if you match up to that, you need to be righteous. Solomon, if you're going to match up to that, you need to allow the people in your kingdom to feel like they're important as well. Solomon, this is the type of king you ought to be. Not only do we have the coming kingdom... But we also, king, we also have the coming kingdom. Notice as we go on, we see a couple different things about this kingdom. The first thing that we see about this coming kingdom is that this coming kingdom will be permanent. This coming kingdom will be permanent. Notice with me in verse number five. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. Notice with me at the end of verse 7. It says the abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. Now the psalmist recognizes that future kingdom is going to last a long time. How long is it going to last? It's going to last as long as there's a sun and as long as there's a moon. Well people may change calendars. They may change clocks. They may do this and that. Governments may come and may fall. But one thing that we really don't have any control over is the sun and the moon. I mean, as much as you want, you could hold your hands and wish and wish. But you know what? The earth is still going to revolve around the sun. It's still going to be there. And as long as you want, you could just pretend that there's no moon, but it's still going to be there. There's nothing really you could do about it. It's a little bit beyond your reach. And so... We know that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is actually going to last until God remakes heaven and remakes earth. And so when Jesus Christ rules and reigns, it's going to be one of permanency. It's going to last. The time span is until the moon 
goes away. That kingdom is going to last. That is a permanent kingdom. It's going to be something that you could depend upon. It's going to be something that's going to last. In fact, notice something more about this permanence. Verse 5, they shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He, now we know that this is speaking about Jesus, shall come down like rain upon the mown grass. Now, here it's giving a picture of freshly cut grass. By the way, just as a little asterisk, they knew what it was like to mow the lawn even back in 1000 BC. Amen. So, for those of you who have the chore mowing the grass, well, it's something that people have been doing for a very, very long time. But the word picture that it's seeing here as it's talking a little bit more about spiritual things as we dive in a little bit deeper. We know that when Jesus Christ comes back first of all in the clouds, he is taking all of us who are saved and he's taking us out. The tribulation period is going to begin with no saved people. It's only going to be lost people. But God is still going to do a work and he's going to work with the Hebrew people. And he's going to see 144,000 Hebrew people get saved. Then those 144,000 Hebrew people are going to go through every people, every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, every family in the world. And go tell them about the Messiah of Jesus Christ. And many people are going to come to get saved. Then when Jesus Christ comes back down, and we see this in the book of Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus Christ comes back down, he's coming back with his army. You say, what does the army do? Absolutely nothing. We're just there as window dressing. Because Jesus is going to take care of everything with just a word. And what's going to happen is that tribulation begins with no saved people. The millennial kingdom is going to begin with no lost people. And this idea of the mowed grass carries the idea that everything is going to start off clean. Everything is going to start off perfect. It's going to start off nice. We also see the the picture of that in the parable of the wheats and the tares. That Jesus is going to take the crops and he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. And that the millennial kingdom again is going to begin with no lost people. What's going to happen? Verse 6. And he shall come down like the rain on the mown grass as showers that water the earth. And again, we know that the idea of water upon any kind of grass, plants, uh, crops is going to be a thing that they make it water, prosper. He's taking care of it. He's watering. It's going to be a spiritual uh, thing that God is going to do. And he's going to uh, water everything, renew everything. And this kingdom is going to start off perfect with a righteous judgment and with people who are saved. No lost people during this time. We know that in verse 7, And his days shall the righteous flourish, and the abundance of peace as long as the moon endureth. We see, first of all, the coming kingdom will be permanent. Something else that we see about this coming kingdom, this coming kingdom will be dominant. This coming kingdom will be dominant. Notice with me verse 8. And he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from river unto the ends of the earth. Verse 8 is a poetical way of explaining that the dominion and control that Jesus Christ has is going to be worldwide from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. That Jesus Christ is not going to be Lord over just some small kingdom. He is going to be Lord over the entire earth. He's going to have dominion, power, control over 
everything, the entire earth, will be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me in verse 9. And they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. Once again, showing that Jesus Christ is in charge. Everyone is going to bow down at Jesus Christ. Of course, the Bible says that in the New Testament. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. That Jesus Christ is going to have dominion. He is going to be in charge. Verse number 10. And the kings of Tarshish and the isles, remember Tarshish uh, in history is located in what we would call Spain. And that the isles carry the idea of the Greek isles, the different isles of the Mediterranean Sea. Those together make a picture of what would be the Western Europe, Western civilization. Then we have the kings of Sheba and Seba. These are going to be the African nations. So here we have the picture that all of the Western world and all of the African world are going to come and offer gifts. That the entire world is submitted. The lands of the South and the lands of the West are all going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is King. Notice in verse 11. And yea, the kings shall fall down before him and all nations serve him. We know that all the world is going to be submitted to Jesus. Now, when we look at Solomon's kingdom, Solomon's kingdom and dominance is going to spread throughout the entire known world. That Solomon doesn't have to go conquer like David did, but his influence because of God's blessing is going to spread out that he is going to become the most important nation of that time. So much that the Pharaoh of Egypt is going to acknowledge Solomon. That the kings of Babylon and Assyria are going to acknowledge Solomon. So much so that the queen of Sheba, we'll have a whole message on her later, is going to travel 1,500 miles just to meet Solomon. And when she gets done, she's going to say, listen, I heard quite a bit, but the half has never been told. She says that the things I heard about you, Solomon, man, I heard a lot of things and I had to come see them to believe them because I didn't believe it could be true. And when I'm done, listen, they didn't even tell me half of it. There's so much more. And there was such a dominance that he had. Unfortunately, because of the actions of Solomon, that kingdom lost its influence but of course, it's a precursor. It's a picture that when Jesus Christ comes, the half will never be told. That he is truly the domineering, commanding king. That everyone is going to acknowledge him. And he's going to rule and reign. And his kingdom is going to last. The coming kingdom will be dominant. Something else that we see in this psalm is that the coming kingdom will hold to high principles. The coming kingdom will hold to high principles. Notice with me in verse number 12. For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, and the poor also, and him that hath no helper. We know that every kingdom is supposed to stand on some principles. There's a platform that they run. There's an idea that they have, that they hold to, that they represent. Well, this coming kingdom here... Its high principles are going to be taking care of the people. No matter who they are, the king will attend to the needy. The poor here is going to include the sick. Notice with me again in verse number 12. 
For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and the needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. What we see here is that the king is going to take care of the needy. The poor is going to be taken care of. The sick are going to be taken care of. The weak will be weak will be taken care of. Notice with me in verse 14. He shall redeem their souls. And verse 13, he shall save their souls. What we're going to see here, this word redeemed comes with the word to buy back. It's the same word that is used in the kinsman redeemer. It carries the idea that here is someone that cannot take care of themselves. They don't have the finances. They don't have the support. They don't have the ability. They need someone to take care of them when they can't take care of themselves. And Jesus being the great kinsman redeemer has the power to redeem them, the ability to redeem them, and the willingness to redeem them. And he's going to bring these people to himself, and he is going to take care of all of their needs, whether they are spiritual needs, whether they are financial needs, whether they're physical needs, that this king is going to be able to take care of all the needs of the people because he has the power to do so, because he has the ability to do so, and because he has the willingness to do so. The idea of the kinsman redeemer. That the king will be concerned with the welfare of all the people. Now that's the type of king that Solomon should be. That's the type of king any ruler should be. That he's not just concerned with getting his pals in favor. He should be concerned with the needs of all the people who are in charge. In fact, notice with me in verse number 15. And he shall live and to him shall be given all the gold of Sheba. The prayer also should be made for him continually and daily shall be praised. That all the wealth in the world will be in the hands of the king to use. He'll be able to make sure that everyone has plenty. Everyone in the kingdom will praise and worship the king because the king has made sure that he is taking care of the people. That we know even in Solomon's time that Solomon had so much wealth that he made sure that it wasn't just with him. But he took care of the people of the kingdom. That when the queen of the Sheba came through, she goes, it's hard to believe. Look at how happy the people are. Even the poor people, the soldiers, the villagers, the farmers, everyone's happy in your kingdom. This is amazing. Now again, Solomon is a fallible king and he did fall. But if Solomon had a kingdom where everyone was happy, at least at the beginning of his reign, imagine what it's going to be like when King Jesus is in charge and he truly cares for each and every one of his subjects who live there. That everyone will be taken care of and in response they're all going to praise King Jesus. What the greatest king in the world is like. This is amazing. Oh, it's good to have that king. Something else that we see about this coming kingdom is that this coming kingdom will be prosperous. This coming kingdom will be prosperous. Notice with me in verse 16. And there shall be a handful of corn in the earth on the top of the mountains. Pause. I don't know how well your farming skill is, but we don't see a lot of corn crops on the top of hill mountains. I mean, you don't go to the store and find the can of corn that says, you know what, made fresh from the Himalayas. <laughs> or made fresh from the Rocky Mountains. That's not usually where you would find crops of corn. 
But notice it says that the handful of corn on the earth upon the top of the mountains, the fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon. What it's speaking about is that the prosperity is not going to be isolated to just the plains. What's going to happen is that you could live in the mountains or you could live in the valleys, you could live in the plains, and there's going to be plenty and those areas will be prosperous. Notice as it goes on, and they of the city shall flourish like grass in the earth. That those who are in the city are going to have enough just like those who live out in the country. That there's going to be prosperity everywhere. Could you imagine that if a city in those old days when they had walls around it and a siege fell upon them. Well the city can only last as long as the supplies of the city lasted. Well here it's saying it doesn't matter where you live at. There's going to be prosperity. That you'll be able to have enough. It doesn't matter if you're in the city or if you're in the country. It doesn't matter if you're in the mountains or the plains. This kingdom is going to be one of prosperous. That it's going to be everywhere it's going to be taken care of. We know that a kingdom can look good on the surface. But could be rotten in the inside. If you ever go to a foreign country. And you go to the tourist traps. And you go to the hotels. Those look really nice. But you go to the other side of the mountain that they're built on. You go on the other side of the beach and you find all the shanty towns where the people are barely surviving. And it looks like a, just a totally different world, just several feet from each other. That a kingdom can made design so it looks good on the surface. But the kingdom of Christ is going to look good all the way through. You go to the mountain villages and they will not be shanties. You can go to the inner city and it will not be broken down and graffitied up. It will be a place that is prospered everywhere. We know Solomon's kingdom, it looked good. Glittering gold, there was everything. Even the pots and pans in his kitchen were made out of gold. It said in the Bible, we'll get to it later, that Solomon's kingdom was so prosperous he didn't even allow his stuff to be made out of silver. That's just too, that's too poor for us. It's too ghetto. Everything has to be made out of gold. The cups that he drank from were gold. The plates that he ate from was gold. The forks and knives that he used were made out of gold. The pans used to cook the food were made out of gold. No one used silver. That just, that's just too downgraded for us. That's too ghetto. Could you imagine that? That you're so prosperous. I mean, that, that's glittering gold everywhere. But Solomon's kingdom had some issues. He put a big debt. He taxed his people beyond reason so much that they had begged his son Rehoboam for relief because of the taxes that they ended up having. That he put the pressure on more and more and more. And whereas it looked good on the outside, it was the inside that was rotten. So many times people could do that same thing. They learn how to make themselves up, dress good, carry things right. But so rotten on the inside because they're so far away from God. So far away from where God wants them to be. The wonderful thing is that God wants us to be prosperous and good on the inside as well as the out. He wants us to be wholly right with Him. We know in that coming kingdom... There's going to be an abundance and everything is going to be taken care of. Poverty will be banished. Notice with me in verse 17. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun 
and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. What's going to happen is that everyone who's in this world are going to realize that they owe everything to God. They owe a great debt. He's the one that took care of us. He's the one that made it possible. He's the one that supplied for us. He's the one that gave us peace. He's the one that gave us prosperity. And the whole world is going to praise God, praise Jesus for that kingdom because of its perfect rule and its perfect setup because this kingdom will be prosperous. There's one more thing that we see about this coming kingdom in this psalm. That the coming kingdom will praise the Lord. The coming kingdom will praise the Lord. Notice with me in verse 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. That's a wonderful phrase there. He only does wondrous phrase things. God doesn't ever do anything that's not wondrous. You know... There are maybe times that you go to work and you don't put your best. Your boss doesn't go, wow, this is good stuff. You just get it done. But everything God does, he only does things that are wondrous. He only does things that are amazing. He only does things that make people go, wow. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The whole world is going to point out that Jesus is God and that he is wonderful. When this psalm is fulfilled, all the prophecies concerning Israel are going to be accomplished. Think about that. That when this is done, all the prophecies are done, just like God had said. And everybody's going to be able to go, wow. And of course, this wraps up that the prayers of the son of Jesse are ended. He said, this is my last psalm. David's fixing to go home to glory. But I'm putting this last one up. We could see that David, even while he's on his deathbed, is still looking up to the future and looking for that future kingdom. He's looking forward to being part of that future kingdom. And his hope and his desire was if he had a blueprint, if he had a picture of what this perfect kingdom would be like, he was hoping that Solomon would be able to say, that's what I want my kingdom to be like. I want my kingdom to be prosperous. I want my kingdom to be righteous. I want my kingdom where people praise the king. I want my kingdom where people are taken care of. I want my kingdom to be just like that. Of course, Solomon tried and then he failed. That was the whole part of it is that he stopped looking at God and allowed his mind to wander. He allowed his heart to go astray. He didn't keep it on the Lord. We know that God has wonderful things for us. But the idea is that we have to keep our eyes on God. Before anyone ever has a public fall, it starts with a private failing. Anytime that you hear some preacher ran away with his secretary, you say, where did that come from? It came from him not being in his Bible the way that he ought to be. It started from him not having that personal walk with God. Why does someone who was faithful to church, why did they disappear? It started before they ever had a public fall. It started with a private failing. It started with them stop reading their Bible. Stop praying. Stop being thankful. They walked away. Solomon was given a great kingdom. He didn't have to fight for it. It was given to him. He had the blessings of God. What happened? He turned his eyes off of God and put it on stuff, put it on people, put it on things. And when that happened, 
He was no longer walking towards the Lord. He was walking towards something else. And everything collapsed from under it. And for a while, he tried to make it look good. But eventually all that gold was going to be replaced with bronze, a lesser thing. And people were going to put on a show and a facade while it was all rotten in the inside. You understand there's a lot of people who live their life that way. It could be that you say, that will never happen to me. You got to be careful. You understand all it takes is for you to get out of the habit of reading your Bible. Out of the habit of following after God. Any one of us are capable of anything at any time if we allow our flesh to be in charge. We have to be careful of ourselves that we understand that our only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily walk with him. Now, maybe perhaps you've never trusted him as savior. The greatest thing that can happen today is for you to trust Jesus Christ as your savior. But for those of you who are saved, let me just ask you, how's your Bible reading? How's your walk with the Lord? How's your devotion to the Lord? How is your time with him? That's where it begins and that's where it ends. It starts with God. It ends with God. God is the goal. May we say it like this. Is God the goal of your life or is something else? Is he the one that you're trying to please? Is he the one that you're trying to serve? Or is it something else? We understand that we have victory and we have prosperity and we have every God's blessings as long as our eyes are on him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.